our union's gonna break them slavery chains. And our union's gonna break them slavery chains. I walked up on a mountain in the middle of the sky. Could see every farm and every town. I could see all the people in this whole wide world. That's a union that'll tear the fascists down, down, down. That's a union. Profit motives and property rights are considered more important than people. The giant triplets of racism, extreme materialism, and militarism are incapable of being conquered. George Bush doesn't care about black people. They have a black history month, but we don't have a white history month. Well, all we've ever been taught is this white history. If it was not for the love and respect shown to me by black women, those right-wing, ultra-conservative, alt-right haters, they would have me believe I'm too black, I'm too confrontational, I'm too tough, and I'm too disrespectful of them. But now, I know I'm simply a strong black woman. We're in a time where corporations are treated like people and people are treated like things. They promote legislation that attacks voting rights, the poor, LGBT citizens, the immigrant community, and civil rights that are lewd, mean-spirited, and fundamentally contrary to what our democracy is supposed to be about. What is bad is not what they are doing. What would be bad is for us not to fight back. Hey ho, let's go. This is 102.3 WHIV. We are community radio dedicated to human rights and social justice. We are not only a radio station with a mission, we are a mission with a radio station. Good says, line. Says the great Chris Rose. This is Resistance Radio and we are broadcasting live from the Ace Hotel in the Three Keys room. Give it up. My name is Mark Allendary. With me as always, Kenny Francis. <laughs> It's very bright. <laughs> Thanks, Knuckles. Kenny Francis, who is the uh, one of the co-founding members of... Uh, um, Where am I from? In, uh, <laughs> Indivisible I love, I love New Orleans. Indivisible I love live radio. <laughs> welcome to live radio, folks. Um, anyway, it's so great to be here. Nice to see you, Kenny. Yeah, welcome back. Glad and, to be back here in the Ace. Um, yeah. And Excited it, for our conversation today. We have a... I guess I've been getting to know in a little bit, and uh, this, this is going to be fun. This is going <laughs> to be, gonna fun. be fun. And uh, real quick, uh, just to let you guys know that part two of last week's podcast was just delivered to me a couple minutes ago. Oh. So we are going to be putting that Breaking up. news, y'all, because <laughs> it was news to me as well. <laughs> and then also uh, we have some uh, interesting 
uh, conversations coming up yes. that are going to be from the Ace Hotel. We're going to be doing candidates forum moving forward from here to pretty much every Monday till the end of the election. And we'll be doing that live from the Three Keys room, and we'll get you guys more information about that. Yeah, and as always, you can find this episode and apparently last week's episode as well, all episodes of our show um, on our podcast by searching for Resistance Radio New Orleans by either going to the WHIV website, which is whivfm.org, or you can go onto Spotify or iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. Super. Uh, Liana, maybe tell Matt to cut his microphone in the... In the uh, Matt, maybe cut your microphone in the booth. There we go. All right. So with that being said, is let's Matt, get started. Is Matt God? Right, right? There's always like the God character in shows. It's like Matt's God. All right, let's get started here. Chris Rose is a New York Times bestselling New Orleans writer and journalist for years. He was best known for lighthearted writing in the Times-Picayune. However, he gained greater attention for his chronicles of the effect of Hurricane Katrina on New Orleans since 2005. Rose graduated from Georgetown Preparatory School. Hmm, that's a familiar I story. Think, yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> that's yeah. a familiar <laughs> school. Mark Allen, you, did, you, did you, do you like beer? Yeah, I like beer. <laughs> do, you do you like beer? beer? I like beer. I actually Mark, don't Mark like Allen, beer. you sound like Donald Trump reading from a teleprompter. You've, oh. known, me, you've, <laughs> you've known me for, for seven years. Put the paper down and just I, introduce me, man. No, I've got, because I've got things like I have to say You're here. even boring me. <laughs> this is already amazing. This is already amazing. Uh, Post-Katrina, Rose gained notoriety and accolades as he chronicled the personal and public struggles of the disaster-stricken area. Chris Chris Rose penned what is known as the first entity to go viral in a nascent internet called the Open Letter to America that starts with, Dear America, I suppose we should introduce ourselves. We are South Louisiana. We have arrived at your doorstep. Dead in the Attic, a collection of stories recounting the first four harrowing months of life in New Orleans after Katrina. The book went on to become a New York Times bestseller and garnered a number of accolades. But rather than write words to describe Chris Rose's contribution to the New Orleans literary canonical, I thought it would be nuggets from Chris Rose. A New Orleans creative gives you daiquiris. As bad as as it is here, it's better than being somewhere else. We dance even if there's no radio. We drink at funerals. We talk too much, laugh too loud, live too large, and frankly, we're suspicious of others who don't. The longer you live in New Orleans, the more unfit you are to live anywhere else. And then my personal favorite, she's a New Orleans girl, and New Orleans girls never live anywhere else. And even if they do, they always come back. That's just the way it is. This is where she belongs. End of discussion. Chris Rose now works as an artist, French quarter tour guide, and writes regular columns for the New Orleans Magazine. Chris Rose, welcome to, <laughs> welcome back to WHIV. Thanks for giving me a hard time and making me blush all Thank along. Thank you very much. You know, you <laughs> should make this. sure your speechwriters write words that you can pronounce. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, that is true. That speechwriter was me. And Canonical. It, it, Canonical. it sounded better in my head when I came up with it, <laughs> but I didn't, uh, I didn't think probably, I would stumble over it. He was probably really proud of that, too. He was like, I fit nascent and canonical. I know. Yeah, that was, Ooh, did you see yeah. that? That's, thank you for just, noticing that, Justifying Kenny. those degrees. Right? Oh, you've never had a conversation <laughs> with Mark Allen? He drops those word bombs everywhere, man. <laughs> um, so I guess just being topical right now, given the fact that you were a writer for Times Picayune, I just was, let's just start the conversation just to 
talk about the obvious thing about what happened. What's your thoughts on the advocate eventually now taking over at Times Picayune and the general sense of just local journalism that's happening around the country? Okay, I'll do that. But before we start, you got your opening <laughs> remarks. All I want to say is I hear you're having candidates forums. Yes. I am going to announce right here, right now on this stage that I am going to primary Donald Trump in the state of Louisiana. So, really? Yeah. So uh, if I can, well, I have to change, I guess I'll have to register as a Republican. But if I can get 150,000 signatures and raise, this is the more important part, uh, raise $10,000 in donations, uh, then I, no, I'm, no. No, you can't no. do it. Uh -huh. Dude, <laughs> you're I, looking, I, I, I guarantee you every oh, single person here was looking and going, yes, do it. Okay, then I'll do it. You know, do an online petition. I'll do it. I got nothing to lose. I'm from Georgetown Prep. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Do you like beer? We're taking over the world. Yeah, I like I mean, beer. Let me just for anybody who's listening who doesn't know what that is. You can probably get on the court. Georgetown Prep is the alma mater. There's a fancy word you didn't have uh, of, uh, <laughs> of our famous Brett Kavanaugh. But what a lot of people don't know is that Trump's Supreme Court justice before him, Neil Gorsuch, also, also right. went to Georgetown Prep, as did Jerome Powell, the head of the Fed, who is apparently tanking our economy yes. on, on, uh, uh, on, on Trump's some, suggestions. On Trump's suggestions. And uh, the alma mater of Brian Cashman, the general Who's manager. Who's tanking the Yankees. The general, <laughs> right. The general manager of the New York Yankees. So with that in mind, uh, it, you know, we control 22.1% of the Supreme Court, the United States monetary policies, and the payroll of the New York Yankees. It is Georgetown Prep's world, and you're just living in it. <laughs> so, given that group of losers, do you feel like you're in good company? <laughs> <laughs> well, hold on. Uh, Mo Rocca. Mo Rocca also went there. Mo Rocca, the great... And there Who's you go. Morocco, there, somebody knows that sounds like where my parents are from. <laughs> I should articulate. Mo Rocca. Uh, got it. Thank you. I thought that's where, couscous, is, where couscous comes from. What is happening? Mark Allen's making actually and, funny jokes. This is and crazy. Roy Roy Hibbick, the seven foot one NBA all star. Um, you really keep. Oh, wait, like, do you hold get, on. Like, a, hold on. This is where I got to butt in. Roy Hibbick. We can't. You can't claim Roy Hibbick. No. No. Come Roy on Hibbick. now. All right. Come listen. on now. Come on now. Let me, if I can get straight, Look. let me, if I can get straight, let me tell you straight, brother. Here's the deal. Here's how you got into Georgetown Prep. You were either really rich or really tall. Or really black and really tall. Yeah. And that was, and again, he wasn't good at all. So you can't claim, like, Roy Hibbert's an embarrassing Really? Right? I mean, of all the things at Georgetown Prep, that's where you're going to go? <laughs> that's where I draw the line. <laughs> All right. Where, uh, what was Paul, the let me ask you this. When you, first, when you first contacted me like six years ago and said you wanted to do radio, you said because your high school had like a 10-watt radio did. station. I began was that at Georgetown Prep? WGPR. Georgetown <laughs> Prep Radio. <laughs> that what was where you yeah, never man, said. I started. I was the first DJ. Before, before we get to like the actual question we asked you, what, what do you talk about a high school radio station? For well, a, okay. For, well, for all boys, for, for all boys, all boys. school. Like, what do you talk about? Girl, beer. girls, and beer. Girls, um, <laughs> the wild sex beer, parties. Beer was legal. They were like eighteen, so you could have oh, beer. Oh yeah. So it, it was a it was a boarding school. Uh, about twenty percent boarders, eighty percent day school is what I was. But so we built this station, just a vanity project, because we all thought radio was cool back then. It DJs is cool. Were DJs, yeah. yeah. Like at WHIV. Yeah, you're right. And couple other very few diminishing stations but where a guy came on the air or a girl came on the air and you know played their soul 
put their hearts out there, the, the words they wanted to say, the songs they wanted to, yeah. to play to try to touch somebody. This one goes out to Joni. And yeah, I mean, it was really romantic back then. And, and, and you know, this didn't meant to lick your really cool boots there, but, um, you know, HIV is one I'll of the last it. bastions where the hour belongs to the DJ. Yeah. And I remember we the, honor I think the first song I ever played on WHIV when I came on was Tom Petty's The Last DJ. Um, so that's what it was. You know, we just thought it was something cool to do. And there's like 80 dudes living in a dorm, got not a lot to do. Uh, and plus, the great thing was they broadcast. It, it was it was a 10-watt radio station. Uh, which, which basically means it doesn't leave the parking lot. Actually, how far, how far does it that stretched go? to the parking lot. And since Georgetown Prep, I'll, I'll put this in, in uh, the terms pretty nice that any WHIB listener can realize. Uh, if you're on Georgetown Prep's campus, once you got past the third uh, fairway on our golf course. <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, you didn't have a golf course at your high school? Well, Nobody? Look at, look oh, Chris well. getting all erudite and stuff oh, here. Oh, you got the language. So anyway, yeah. You could, get, you could get it in the parking lot and in the dorm. What was the question? <laughs> the question was, what's happening with local journalism? Local journalism. Well, it's dying right here on the stage. Oh. <laughs> well, given that you're the only journalist here, <laughs> it's uh, a good thing you're on stage with a doctor. <laughs> uh, you know, I, <laughs> it only, it's only taken 13 minutes to go completely off the rails. <laughs> I think this is a new record, y'all. It's, it's a new it's record. A, it's I the one-question interview. I told you. No, 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 I got more questions. Well, I'd like to thank you guys for my first and apparently last uh, <laughs> On Resistance Radio. At, w- at what point does this just become, like, stand-up? And you're just like, <laughs> Amy Ir- I see Amy Irvin's here. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, let's talk about my dog. Um, you have dogs? Okay, no. no that, that was a joke. Is that, is that Luna? That was Luna? a joke about a joke. Don't respond to that. Luna Biscuit? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, stop. Stop. Moon okay, pie. local journalism. Moon I'm, try, pie. I'm trying it's to Luna steer biscuits? this back to Santa. All right, all right, Santa. all right. Local journalism. When I started uh, at the Times Picayune, uh, I was hired in the West Bank Bureau to cover crime. That was in the summer of 1984, the summer of the World's Fair. And it was uh, such a strange thing. Back then, right before I got here in 84, 1980, the Times Picayune and the state's item had merged, and they were both the conglomerates of so many papers that came before. Uh, but that was on my business card, and that was on the masthead, and that's how I had to answer the phone back then. The Times Picayune, the state's item, West Bank Bureau, can I? And then it's <laughs> They've hung up. That took too long. Our business card's the only business card that ever had it said, see page two. Uh, the Times Picayune, the state's item. Now I look at this uh, newspaper and this website, and it says uh, the Times Picayune, the New Orleans Advocate, NOLA.com. And I just pity anyone who has to answer to the phone. Yeah. Do people actually even answer phones anymore? Yeah. Uh, you know, that's a good point. That, I just dated myself. There, yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, back when, uh, yeah, back when he answered the phones. Anyway. So, but I mean, so were you at, uh, so the Advocate came about. I know at the time when the Times Picayune became three days a week, or the Sometimes Picayune, and I, I know at that point that you had you had exited from the Times Picayune. But did you ever see that the Advocate would take over? I mean, because like you said, the Times Picayune was a collection of a conglomerate of other newspapers. The Times and the Picayune, right there, were two papers that kind of came together. So, did you think that eventually the Advocate would ultimately be the last? 
newspaper standing, and what does that mean for local journalism? I mean, that there's one editor who's able to exert whatever control he or she may have. Well, I think, you know, this town in particular, but very few towns can support two daily newspapers. So in today's I'm world, not yes. actually uh, opposed to this merger of, uh, of talents uh, and resources because the two of them were just bleeding each other. Uh, would I like to see a great world in which there were competing newspapers, but they weren't really competing. They were both sort of complacent. Um, the advocate had set its goal at uh, a, a, a circulation of 30,000 daily would cover their costs, and then it would become a business success. The Times-Picayune's owners up in New Jersey uh, didn't give a... It's community radio. It is me, no, you can't. But you okay, can say didn't didn't give a, a hooey hooey uh, about the community. But the people there, uh, particularly the writers, were still committed. A lot of great people there: Doug McCash, um, uh, I don't know, Todd Price. A, a lot of a lot of folks I really admire and do great work. And all of it was getting lost in a shuffle of a war between two papers, in which um, it was just a war of attrition. Nothing was going to happen. I don't really strongly oppose the idea of having one really good, strong uh, newspaper voice in the city. And I know that's uh, condoning a monopoly, but that's inevitable. Um, and the thing about it is, here's what I know about John George's. Uh, from having tried to get work at The Advocate uh, three different times, and even recently suggesting with this merger... I might be interested if you want to rebuild a great newspaper town. I might be interested, but he's always told me, he says, uh, he owns Galatoire. And he gave an analogy to that. He says, you know, I like you. Uh, my wife, Dathel, loves you. God bless you, Dathel. Uh, he says, but in the same way that I don't tell the chefs at Galatoire's what to put on the menu, I don't tell the editors at the Times Picayune who to hire, which is why I'm not working there. Uh, but any, anyway, the point being... It's still the same people? The, the, the point of that, well, the point of that was not meant to be wrap around me, but the point being that they have total editorial independence. And between the new, two newspapers, I mean, damn, who thought The Advocate would win a Pulitzer before The Times-Picayune would again? I mean, that shows a lot. I think that was, you know, back when The Times-Picayune won Pulitzer, that was a big deal in this town. You didn't have to work at the newspaper to be proud of that. Everybody talked about it, you know, uh, because that was such a connected part of daily life in the city. It was the Times Picayune everywhere you went, every barbershop, coffee shop, anywhere you went. It was, you know, you'd go to a, a bus stop. There'd be a, an abandoned paper there for you to read. It, it's really weird that there's this uh, a company. I know I'm going off the rails here, but there's a company called Belton. Wait, and wait they now do, we're off the rails? They do. <laughs> Shocking. They do for newspapers what Nielsen does for radio and TV, and they've measured the depth the Times-Picayune, and as far as sales and circulation went, we were never at the top, but as far as readership were, we were 33% ahead of any other newspaper in the country, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, because every newspaper, every Times-Picayune, went through five different sets of hands and eyes back in the day. So it was such a part of the community. It would be great if that could happen here again. So effectively, the Internet essentially killed that? Uh, yeah, I guess. Sure. Um, 
There are a lot of venues for people to, yeah. Well, yes. The short answer Essentially is yes. Because uh, it's, it's not about the spread of talent. They have a lot of great talent at these two newspapers, which have merged. But there's also a lot of great talent out there in the ethosphere uh, willing to do this for free. It's a matter of, it, it comes down to advertising. I have, I have a question related to this. So I, I know that the internet and like the sort of the widely, wide availability of getting your news digitally is essentially killed print paper like the story you're telling is the story of basically every town across the country and every newspaper struggling right absolutely i think the thing that i find fascinating in this is that like how did we get to a place with our newspapers where even now they're that they're all online like you said there's still a lot of great town out there but the sort of like impartial nature of what the paper used to be about has changed and, like, a lot of people attribute that to, like, well, they're, like, worried about advertisers, so they're worried about clickbait. But as you just so put it, back in the day, you were worried about how many subscribers you had. You were worried about selling paper still. So, like, how, I guess my question is, like, what changed beyond just the Internet, which, like, killed the print part of it, how do we get to where we are now, given that, like, there was always a motivation to sell the paper? But why is it now that we just only care about what headlock people click on it and sell it in that version of it because like again in the 80s when started there there was just as much of a motivation to sell papers but you didn't you didn't have like right the, the, that those were our clicks yeah each subscription so like was, what what uh, changed and make no mistake about it john georges did not buy the the hard copy of the times picayune to sell every morning he bought nola.com by far the the most prominent and and, and uh, uh profitable online voice in this city, like it or not, it is. That's what John George has bought. He didn't buy that, that newspaper you hold in your hands. Um, but the, to get to the question, what was the question? Like, so what, what changed in like, the paper industry? Oh, well, I mean, well, you know, it's, it's, it's so simple to just say the Internet, but that's the answer. You know, the way – this is one of the last towns where people do cherish holding that hard copy in their hands. I'd always said in the beginning when they said newspapers are going to be extinct by 2020, I said, well, as long as there are subway systems and men's rooms, there will be <laughs> newspapers. But I was wrong because you can just bring your iPhone yeah. into the men's room. Yeah. And you're, on subways. You're, you're laughing. You're laughing. You're women. You know what happens when your man disappears on a Sunday morning for 45 minutes. He said he's walking the dog. He never left the house. Is that, um, what? I, what? I'm sorry. Only the truth is funny. <laughs> um, all right. So just real quickly, let's just let's go through 2005 real quick, and I promise we'll get off of it. Obviously, uh, 2005 uh, was um, August 29th of 2005, so the anniversary is actually coming up pretty soon. Oh, God, again. And um, I know I, we're going to just do it just for one quick second, and then the rest of it is going to be uh, telling stories. So I know that uh, uh, largely speaking, uh, uh, Katrina was obviously major devastation, and as this city and as this country starting to learn to work with climate change and, and with the cities starting to l learn to live with water, that was an incredibly traumatic effect. Um, and I know that we've talked about this before on air, but I just kind of want to talk about it one last time here. But, I, you know, I know uh, Liana has a Katrina story. Uh, I know uh, that Kelly has a Katrina story. Everyone. I have a Katrina story, so I wanted to ask story. you, Chris Rose, do you have a Katrina story? 
How long is this show? I have a Katrina story. No, I mean, just real quick, I don't, I don't want to get into How the... How am I supposed to answer that? <laughs> well, it's a joke. I asked you this question in 2014 when we first Read met. the t-shirts, man. <laughs> Um, uh, so, I, I mean, with that, uh, that was a joke. Okay, good. It was a joke. <laughs> I was really not good. meaning to. So, um, but after, so of all the things I was reading about you when I wrote your bio today, not one thing talked about you being on WHIV. Talked about the Gambit, talked about WWL, I didn't write that, I, 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 you wrote that bio. And, <laughs> Who wrote but, the bio? I didn't. I don't use, I've never written the word nascent in my life. Really? <laughs> I don't even know, I don't even know what nascent means. <laughs> Yes, you do. Don't say that. I, I, you I know what? I lost it's my like carburetor. I know how to spell it, but I don't really know what it does. Liana will explain to you. When, sometimes when we're at a party, Liana will ask me if I'm getting too big in my britches. She'll be like, what's the carburetor again? And I have no idea what it is. Liana's my daddy the, taught me how to spell it. She's got the 57 it. Chevys. <laughs> um, all right. So now you are doing Is that kind of like ersatz? What is that? Boy, <laughs> thank you, everybody. We'll be here every Monday night. Uh, boy, we bring down a crowd. What, Newsat didn't do it, but Ersatz did. Isn't that a test you take when you go to college? I don't, I don't know. We're still on the first question, aren't we? Um, so, all right. So then, uh, I uh, tell us a bit about what you're doing right now. You're you're doing tours. Yeah, I, I saw a picture of you hanging paintings on, on the like at uh, uh, on uh, on charters. Yes, yes, Jackson Square. Thank you. I, I, I am now, I now, yes, I am a, a man of just immeasurable depths of talent, and um, one of the ways I'm expressing myself these days uh, is by uh, painting and uh, making pictures and collages and stuff. Have you always been a painter? No. No, Just it actually one day started you here. Up. If you want a good Katrina story, I've never been an artist. But immediately after the storm, um, I was living uptown on the Isle of Denial. Most everything was intact. But my neighbor's garage had blown over, had been destroyed. And my neighbor, who was about 80 then, and his dad had built it. So it was made of odd architectural, found New Orleans stuff. And day by day, the old man would pull stuff out to the sidewalk and lay it there, and I looked at this really cool architecture, and I, I was going crazy. I was living alone in this big house, and I was going nuts down a rabbit hole. And every day I used to drive that stuff into my house, and where I had, uh, 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 my kids were very small back then, so I had a whole lot of sidewalk talk, um, those second grade bottles of paint, and just a few random acrylics laying around, and I just started painting it. And the guy's name was uh, Tom McCann, not the shoe guy, but his name was Tom McCann. And as he took his building apart, I brought it into my house and painted it and basically rebuilt it. Uh, Jonathan Ferrara, who owns Jonathan Ferrara Gallery, was a friend of mine back then, still is, but we were very tight back then. And one day he came over and saw that I had reconstructed my neighbor's garage in my living room, but it was all painted, just weird, right? You, you kind of, that was like in like... Uh... That was oh. Seven, I think we did a show at Ferrar's Gallery. We called it Tom's Garage, oh, really? and uh, it was basically called a Diary of a Descent into Madness in very bright colors. I think I remember that actually. <laughs> and, and it did. It did. Um, people, people loved it. You know, I don't know. Maybe in the same way that you know they like a John Lennon drawing because it's got John Lennon's name on it. Not to say I'm 
John Lennon, but <laughs> we don't worry. Did. I think but, just did. But no, no, some, no one will. In some pockets of Uptown New Orleans, I might as well be. Oh, oh. Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. I'm, I'm not, you know, burning Jesus. I didn't say I'm bigger than Jesus. I just said I'm bigger than John <laughs> well, Lennon. John, John Lennon was. <laughs> <laughs> what was the question? What Any, was the, anyway, what was the... so, so many, 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 many years go by and I meet a woman named Janelle and she's an artist and a jeweler and doesn't know this story and sees I have three, there were only three things, everything sold out but three pieces which I hang on my wall and one day she asked who did those, I said I did, she said what? You know, I didn't even know you could draw. Um, so she encouraged me to get back into it. And now I was about close to two years ago now. So I started where I began. I go down to the Green Project. Uh, I buy old tin, roof, being slate. Uh, by a scene of a fire, like when the big furniture warehouse burned down up in Mid-City. That's a super John Lennon thing to do. I went and scavenged things, and I know that sounds like picking over the ruins of the dead, but it's either going to the dump or on somebody's wall. So uh, I do that. I, I, when I see a renovation, I dive through dumpsters. I take stuff home because I can't afford canvases. Canvases are really expensive. I don't know if anybody paints out there, but uh, uh, to buy a you know, I don't know, 12 by 24 canvas is like $36. I can't afford that. So I paint on tin and wood and uh, roofing slates, terracotta, whatever, and started that, got a permit to hang on the fence down on Royal Street. So, you know, all that's left is for me to get a beret and a, <laughs> and a, hol and a, long, and a holder and a for my cigarette. cigarette. And, uh, yes. And a poodle. Please come see my artistic work. <laughs> So yeah, and has that been so? Has well, that been a replacement to the tours? No, no, no. I'm still doing tours. No, no, no. I mean, when people say I didn't know you're an artist, what's all this about? I said, well, a man needs something to do at three in the morning, and ah, what I used to do is. at three in the morning isn't working anymore. So that's how I started doing that, and I've got tons of stuff. It's not a replacement to the tour business. It's a it's a, a buttress to it. I, I'm not making a full living off tours especially in August. There's not a lot of people who want to pay a guy $25 uh, to take them on a long, slow walk through the French <laughs> Quarter in August. So uh, I'm doing that. You know, I'm starting the crime tour in September. Yo, selling paintings I was going to ask by, about that. Oh, yeah. By commission or, or shows. We do. I do the Ferret, by the way. Can I plug myself? Yeah, I'll be at yeah, the yeah. Ferret Street Art Market September 7th, and I'll be doing the Palmer Park Art Market and Ferret all through the fall. And this is you and, and, and Janie pull through it together? Yeah, me and Janie do it together. She's right Silver on. Frog Studios. She does the jewelry. I do the pictures. Right on. In fact, we've been traveling this summer at the music festival, and uh, it worked out pretty well, man. Right. Yeah. I think I was playing once at the Fred, at Fred oh, Festival. Oh, you were? That's was, how you met her. Right, you were playing. I was playing bass for... That was uh, before. That was when she was just selling jewelry, and I was right. like the you guy who lifted out. up the tent. Right. But, <laughs> but now I'm, I'm the talent. She's got to lift the she, tent. She, she's, just, she's your roadie now? No, no, God, I hope she never hears she's on the phone. Is she <laughs> listening <laughs> right now? No, God, I didn't say that. <laughs> Let's go down that rabbit hole can more. This, can this be edited out of the podcast? <laughs> Oh. We did tell you it's live radio, right? <laughs> All right. So the name of the the name of the tour is the Magical Mystery. Oh. Yeah, that, yeah, that meant for you to. You like, got the name you, of the book wrong too. To... So that's that's. Everybody does that. Everybody says one, one dead, dead in... in the attic. No, I said that... in attic. Go back and listen. All right, there's. I did not. You say can in edit the... it out. But that is that is, is a natural thing to say. Where's it's the... awkward. One dead in attic. That's what that's what's written there. That's not what you said. 
You also Listen, said nascent. In, tw- in 2014. <laughs> and it says say- negligent there. <laughs> anyway. Uh, what was the question? <laughs> Magical mystery. You must have something to say together. <laughs> This is one time where it's the Magical Musical History Mystery Tour. And I don't know why I called it that. Uh, I just started it and somebody said, what's it called? And I like panicked. So I don't have a name. (laughs) I didn't want to call it New Orleans Music History Tour because that sounds like I'm going to spend three and a half hours beating jazz down your throat. Right. But you talk about opera. I mean, I think that yeah, the, I talk very little about jazz. Yeah, I mean, it, the whole the whole point of the tour is how talk about if, opera. Oh, you're really selling my tour for me now. Aren't I, you? Well, because I want to get to the. Uh, I'm trying to. I'm priming you to tell a story. Um, <laughs> this is live radio. You can't say that. You have a co-host. I have it. No, you're, you're setting this one out. No, I'm I'm enjoying this. This is great. I don't blame you. I'm just in the peanut gallery on this one. This is, this is, my this is uh, last week. It was Kenny's show, so I guess this is yeah. my show. <laughs> um, so, but you know, we, in in the show, in the uh, tour, you argue uh, that uh, all of music, uh, all of American music, or all of music, originates from New Orleans. Right, but not my original theory, taken from and expanded upon by the words of the great late Ernie Cato, who once said, "I'm not positive." but I think all music came from New Orleans. And it's one of the few times he actually didn't exaggerate. In fact, he undersold it, and that is the argument I make on our two-and-a-half-hour adventure uh, with two official free relief refreshment stops along the way. But um, (laughs) that, uh, yeah, I make what I think is a pretty strong case that every form, genre, and style of music in the Western Hemisphere, with the exception of polka, Okay, I didn't realize. But I'm still working on that because of the accordion <laughs> thing. Right. There has got to be a connection. Uh, did actually come from, if not New Orleans, from the state of Louisiana. And that's sort of the journey we take. Uh, I will make a case that um, rap and hip-hop nation did not begin in L.A., south-central L.A., uh, did not begin in the outer boroughs of New York. Queens and the Bronx and Brooklyn before Brooklyn became full of tall, thin white men with long groomed beards wearing corduroy jackets with patches on their elbows drinking kale soup. What the hell happened to Brooklyn? I don't know, but that's a different form of the time. Yeah. But I will even make a case that reggae was born here. Not its sound, but its influence and country and everything else. So yes, and opera and classical music as well. The first opera house in North America was on Bourbon Street. A lot of people don't know that. A lot of people do. Really? Those who uh, uh, do probably went to a private school. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) But the first opera house in North America. So what what you're saying is that private school teaches you a bunch of mundane facts that you never used? I I went to Georgetown Prep, brother. We've already talked about this. (laughs) I took Latin, man. So you can speak Two to years. So you can speak to Jesus? Eod and Inferno. No, he spoke Greek. Actually, I made that up. I don't he know. Spoke what he spoke Hebrew. No, actually, uh, our, not Armenian. Uh, our, Armenic or something. Actually, it was probably Arabic because he was brown. <laughs> yeah, but it was like even even a, a, a crazy. Uh, Aramaic. Uh, Aramaic. Thank you. Aramaic. There we go. Same thing that, um, um, uh, what's that guy? The, the John who? Lennon? No, no. <laughs> 
They had that Jesus movie in which they did oh, it Mel totally Gibson. in Aramaic. Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. Speaking of anti the, your great lover, the great lover of Jews who played the, the greatest of Jew of all time. Right. Uh, but they did a movie all in Aramaic. It's amazing it wasn't a yeah. big hit in the theaters. Yeah. <laughs> it was shocking, isn't it? Maybe that's why he went on his rant after that. <laughs> that was he... Oh, yeah, it was after, wasn't it? It was right after. It was after, yeah. Hey, can I bring up something completely different? Speaking of politics and, and anti-Semitism. <laughs> yes. Because um, I don't know if, if we're... Hold on, before you do, I just got reminded. If you're tuned in, you are listening to 102.3 WHIV. Oh, yeah, that's legal. you got to do that. Wait, that's I'll right. do that. For you listeners out there, you are listening to WHIV 102.3 on your FM radio dial, community-sponsored radio. We are not a radio station with a mission. We are a mission. With a radio station, please support us. Uh, underwriters, you can reach us at whhivfm.org. Oh, what, what, what's what's yeah, whivfm.org. I put on my ra- I put on yeah. my radio voice. Yeah, this, hold on, Chris. Chris, you miss it, don't you? I miss it terribly every day, man. It's my true love is radio. All right, there's there's a space for you. Tuesday at one o'clock. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> I'll take it. Right. I'll Joking. take it. <laughs> yeah. That was good. That was an inside joke for you listeners. Um, All three of you who are still there. You are listening to Resistance Radio. <laughs> One of them is your girlfriend, I hope. <laughs> uh, this is Resistance Radio. My name is Mark Allen Derry. That's Candy Francis, you know and we are talking to the you know great what's really funny, Chris, Chris Rose. Is that you said is that like typically the way that this show goes is that I do like hours of research. And then I email Mark Allen, and he ignores the email until, like, an hour before the show. And then he, like, reads it very quickly before going to air. He's like, so what are we talking about? And so, like, for the, he booked this show with you, and I was expecting to get some sort of prep for this. And then typical Mark Allen, I got no prep. I showed up, and I was like, what are we going to talk about? He was like, it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> and how how'd that work out for you? <laughs> exactly. Go ahead. Say I'm right. <laughs> All right, politics. Well, now, now back to anti-Semitism. I want to talk about Donald Trump for one second. Um, this Greenland thing. Okay. Yeah. No, no, no. Wait. Hear me out. This might have been one of the greatest things he has done, not for this country, but for this planet. Because he comes up with this bat crap idea. Well, climate change, it's going to be great property. Here's what, no, no. Here's, here's what's happening. Every news organization in the world is in Greenland right now, and they're filming the melting of the polar oh, yeah. ice caps. Yeah. It's pictures, baby. Even on Fox News, you can't ignore pictures. Yeah. And he has so accidentally... And, and here's one thing about the idea of buying Greenland. Like, people are going, what? You can't buy another country? Yes, you can. We're the United States. We bought Mexico. Louisiana. We kicked the Mexicans out. Louisiana. We bought Louisiana from the French. Michigan bought the Upper Peninsula from Wisconsin, but I guess that was insider trading. But anyway, the point being <laughs> that most of this country is built together either from tyranny. We bought Alaska. We bought Alaska. And Hawaii. And so it's not and a, the a really and weird the idea. In fact, we bought the U.S. Virgin Islands from who? Denmark. Right, right, right. In the 1950s. Yeah. This is not a new idea. We also tried in to buy Greenland twice. In our new era, it is, it is a crazy idea. We yeah. don't wheel and deal colonial properties anymore. That kind of went out with Eisenhower. But what this has done is focus this attention on this place. Everybody's going, where's Greenland? I thought that was just sort of like Iceland's 
older brother or right. something. It kind of is. You know, same thing. Much right, right. We think that right. now. The world is getting a look at what's going on there, and it is ground zero for the melting of the polar ice caps and the raising of the sea levels and all that other phony weather stuff we keep bringing up. And suddenly, <laughs> Trump, of all people, Trump has focused the attention on, on the destruction change. of our atmosphere and our planet. And I will say that he did it twice last week because the second thing that he did was uh, tweet to Benjamin Netanyahu to uh, refuse entry to Palestine for two congressional, uh, two Muslim congressional women, uh, Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, uh, over. Oh, you know how to say those words, huh? You got your fancy geopolitics going <laughs> on. Yeah, you're right. Dude, I run a station based on politics. Yeah, but man, it you're, was... you're the kind of one that says Puerto Rico <laughs> instead of Puerto Rico. I've been around you enough to know that. You throw out, you trill your tongue. For your international uh, you know, cred. You know I know BD, you've been everywhere. Do you know what BDS stands for? Uh, Boycott, divestment, and sanction. Oh, I thought it was a sex thing with whips. <laughs> you had to see that coming. You had, you had I to, set him up. You had to see. <laughs> um, but he did the same thing with BDS. Was that obvious, Kenny? Well? I'm so sorry to that bring was, up uh, obvious. <laughs> yeah, you're off your game. You're being very so, obvious there. <laughs> that was probably the least funny part of this bit. Of the, of the whole bit. I feel like we're like a good, like... 45 minutes into a bit, that was probably like the, the low point. Man, you know, it's not all going to stick to the wall. It's, it's a tough group here. What's the question? <laughs> <laughs> that, it was the, uh, but that was the second thing that he did because now people all weekend long were looking up. And then, you know, the other thing that was trending on Twitter this weekend was my Palestinian grandmother because um, I think it was uh, Rashida Tlaib's grandmother who said some words which was like, good, don't come to Palestine, stand up for your rights. And then uh, over the weekend, uh, a uh, trending, um, uh, what was trending on Twitter, or tw a trending hashtag was my Palestinian grandmother, and people were sharing stories about their Palestinian grandmothers. Again, raising the awareness and raising the bar for understanding BDS. That, that is true, and, you know, it's hard to pick the lowest of the lowest tweets yeah. that Trump has sent out, but I think one that kind of went, kind of unnoticed just because in his vast vomitous of crazed theories and ideas into the howling digital echo chamber, one that didn't seem to pick up steam because it was so personal. But when he said that the best thing about Talib being banned from going to Israel and then crossing the visit uh, into the West Bank, the benefit of that was her grandmother, who didn't have to see and meet with crazy Talib, that she would be left alone, that she wouldn't have to meet with her granddaughter, that she was the winner in all this, the grandmother. Yeah, this 90-year-old Palestinian, you know, it's not involved in, in geopolitics and, and international terror or anything, just to see her granddaughter. And, and just like the Gold Star families, yeah. he will latch on to the lowest rung someone who has no power to speak truth to power and, and use that as a way of proving his point and that, that person, the winner in this is Talib's grandmother because she doesn't have to see her granddaughter. But what's even worse That's about sick. it is that his base, our brothers and sisters, our American brothers and sisters. Yours. They, remember I told you my parents are from Morocco. <laughs> 
They love it. They love it. They love it. They thrive on that. Seeing kids in cages being ripped away from their parents, they love that stuff. And, and you're right. I, I read that tweet, and it hit me, but it didn't hit me quite the way you just described it now. It's disgusting. Context. And it, yeah. what it scares me is because it's become, it's so no, it's become normalized. He's now going after a 90-year-old Palestinian grandmother who is just living in, in a large fence, basically. She's yes. living in uh, Open-air jail. Oh, open-air jail. I like. See, that's a, a way of... Making it look nice. The, uh, I love the, when a writer the, 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 tells industri- me. <laughs> the industrial prison complex can now just say that. Rip the roofs off the prisons. It's open air. It's um, you know, free range prison. Oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah, there was that's some. Dark. There was some that's, no, what? That's what turned the crowd on me? <laughs> um, we're doing another station ID, Chris. Go ahead. Give us another station ID. You are listening to WHIV 102.3 FM on your radio dial. We are a station of great amusement, social justice, <laughs> great amusement. common sense, good health, Smart good eyes. government, <laughs> and sharp dressing, 102.3 You can read us. <laughs> we are not a radio station with a mission. We are a mission with a radio station. You can find us at... Chris, uh, so you've no, got... You can't find... You know, the website. WHIVFM.org. Yeah. Or as Jonathan says, org. Do you want that one o'clock spot on Tuesdays? It's particularly contrary. (laughs) WHIV dot orange. Orange. Um, Tell us about the new tour coming up. And will you share a story or two with us? Come on. Um, So, yeah, I've been doing this music tour for several years now. And I've been promising for more years than that to do a true crime tour. Although I got to come up with a cool name, because after having the magical musical history mystery tour, I can't just say true crime. (laughs) So I'm open to suggestions. But anyway, very soon, uh, it's a collection, um, much like the the, the music tour. um, It is is not a ghost voodoo or vampire tour. I'm not not taking you you to those places. Again, the reason my business is failing uh, is where I am different from other people in that I tell the truth. There are not a lot of people who are interested in the truth. So, yeah, I don't go where the famous, I don't know, howling beheadings and murders were. I actually tell true stories. And, again, like the music tour, a lot of them are sort of well-known. Yeah. You know, people know where that Mr. Bojangles came about in the New Orleans prison and, and you know, uh, things like that. So some of them are the obvious ones, Lee Harvey Oswald, uh, but different takes on it. But then also, like the music tour, a lot of these stories are ones that only I experienced. Like in my, when I tell the story of the House of the Rising Sun in my music tour. Okay, it's a commonly known story, but that's because I was the one that was there with Eric Burden when the whole, you know, a lot of personal stuff where I was there. And that's what this has, too, from stories back when I was a crime reporter for the Times-Picayune. Stories that are not super famous, like the Axe Man. Sure, we'll dispense with that. Uh, not like, uh, you know, I, I don't know, the, the, that Persian king who chopped up babies. You look like you don't know that story. No. Anyway, um, <laughs> a lot of stories which, that are not which one, in, which in the guide books, in the history books. <laughs> well, I guess you'll just have to take the tour. <laughs> I actually, I would love to take, the funny thing is, so I, I lived in the corner for a long time, and I lived across from 
it was a frequent stop where they would stop and tell some vampire story about some guy that lived in an apartment, and it was mostly just made sure I never had parking in front of my house. <laughs> but I always wondered, why did they not tell true crime stories? Why do they make up these, like, ridiculous, obviously not true stories, and why do people want to hear them? So, like, it's kind of funny to hear you say that. I absolutely am going to take your, sto- your tour. Like, a, a true crime tour in the quarter sounds amazing. Well, it's funny, Kenny. I mean, that's the thing I've always said, but I'm clearly not. I like to think I give a great tour, but running a business, not so much, because I agree with you. I always tell people, and I don't want to diss my, I got a, I got a couple really good friends who give ghost tours, and, and they're great storytellers. I, you know, um, they don't wear the capes and the chimney sweep hats and wear the top <laughs> makeup. Actually, actually, one of them does. But, you know, but they're great storytellers they engage you. But a lot of them I go by and I see every night and they got enormous crowds. Right now, at this moment we are speaking, there are at least 300 people yeah. who have paid 25 to $35 to be taken on a tour of lies. And, and I always think, you're right. The French Quarter has so many great, true yeah. stories. Why make them up? And uh, so that's, that's what I, I try to do, and that's why I stand on the sidewalks day after day screaming at strangers trying to get this <laughs> point through. Uh, you know, it's, it's not a living, but it's, uh, it's, it's, not a, it's not a tour with a mission. It's a, it's a mission <laughs> with a tour. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, don't drop the microphone. They're expensive. Axel will scream if you drop that mic. (laughs) Oh, I hope we're out of time right now. We're not not doing any better. We're we're waiting. (laughs) It's story time, baby. (laughs) Hold on, let me ask you this. I do talk about. Hold on, I want to know the Persian king story. Like, is it like the Saudi guy, Jonathan? You know that the the pasha. There was a guy. I well, I don't. don't, Well, let me tell one I know. Okay, so. Uh, what, is that what you want? You want yes, first? Yeah, 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 I, yeah yes. absolutely. All right, because that's the thing. When, like, when people at the end of my, especially like half the people who take my tour are from New Orleans, which is probably not the way it works in the ghost tour business. But what it is is New Orleanians, we love this city. We're so self-involved and so self-indulgent, so self-loved. What are our favorite movies? The ones that are about New Orleans. Our second favorite movies are the ones that were are about somewhere else, but were filmed in New Orleans. <laughs> Our favorite books are about New Orleans. Our favorite writers are from New Orleans. Our favorite bands are from, you know, which is, it is, it is kind of a weird parochial and provincial self Our favorite football team from New Orleans. Well, yeah, well, uh, that part makes sense, but, no, it doesn't. Um, <laughs> but, you know, not, not a lot of, you know, only maybe New York or, or L.A. could cling, you know, I mean, it's okay to talk about another radio station here. I mean, yeah, there's, that's fine. There's, what other city has a radio station that 90% of its programming actually comes from local bands? I mean, Cleveland can't do that. New York can't even do that. L.A. And, and, and none of those places have this, this because we're so small, this, this culture that's so vastly connected to itself. Now, where was I going with this? Okay, so half the people who take my tour are from New Orleans because they love the city, but they don't want to hear ghost tours. They don't want to hear vampire stories. They want to hear real stuff that maybe they didn't actually know or might challenge uh, mythologies and the things they think they knew. And at the end of those tours, when I tell somebody, I'm, okay, thank you. If you enjoyed this, stay tuned. I'm going to do a, a crime tour too. And that's when they go, oh, 
Oh, you know, that, only in New Orleans. Cool. You're going you're gonna to tell us stories about how we kill ourselves. I said, yeah, if you think I didn't murder music on this. <laughs> Listen that. So now I forgot what the story was, but you wanted to, you wanted to hear a, a story from it. So, right. Like I said, like the music tour, I, I you know, I, I don't, on my music tour, I don't talk about, you know, Buddy Bolden. I don't talk much about Louis Armstrong, uh, jazz, or famous stories, even about the Grateful Dead getting arrested on Bourbon Street or, or whatever. I tell stories that people don't know or may not have heard. So here's my favorite from the crime tour, and this is great because now once I tell it, you don't have to take the tour. <laughs> um, but this is a story that nobody knows, only because I lived in the middle of it. I lived on six. 12 St. Philip Street. Um, this is back in 1985-86. I live in an apartment. It, it is now, this building is now actually a boutique hotel and a very pretty place if you look at it. When I lived there, it was really run down. Of the 12 units, about seven were rented. There was no desk or landlord or anything like that. It was a guy who lived in St. Tammany Parish and you wrote him a check. So I moved in there. Now, my neighbors uh, across the hall from me was a single mother with a child. Next door to me uh, was a Coke dealer. On the other side of him uh, was a shooting gallery for um, Smack. Underneath that apartment was, as it turned out, a video gallery for making child pornography. I was not aware of this at the time. There were one or two other residents. One of them... There was an old uh, Guatemalan woman in her, in her late 40s who had a very young, very studly-looking Anglo boyfriend who used to walk in the streets at night, tell her he's going out for cigarettes or something like that. He would walk the streets, but he was a chicken, looking for the chicken hawks. And he had a regular client down in the 500 block who was a socialite, a uh, man about town, a boulevardaire, well-known uh, in the French Quarter for his social work. Kind of picture, uh, uh, who's the guy from JFK that didn't actually kill him, but who got arrested for it. Oh, not Jack Rose. No. Uh, Jack Rose. That's no. my son. No. Um, Sorry. Jack Ruby. I meant to say Jack Ruby. No, not Jack Ruby, the, 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 the developer. Anyway, anyway, a well-known socialite in the French Quarter, regular client. One night, uh, the chicken gets hired by the chicken hawk, goes in the apartment, notices a great cache of jewelry. Or is it cash? Janie always tells me to say cash of jewelry. And um, after they do the trick, uh, he kills the guy. He cuts his head off with a steak knife from his kitchen, and he steals all the jewelry. And he goes uh, up to Canal Street the next day. That murder is reported in the Times Picayune the next day in just, you know, like six paragraphs. Uh, famous, well-known, well-loved, found with his head cut off. If you have any information, call, you know, 82 Crime Stoppers, whatever. So anyway, the next day, the guy goes to a random jewelry store on Canal Street, of which there were many more than there are now. And he walks in, and he opens up a bandana full of these emeralds and rubies and these beautiful jewels and says, I'd like to sell these. Can you appraise them for me? Is it praise or a prize? I'm, I'm... <laughs> it's a praise. Oh, okay. I know how to spell these words. I just uh, praise or prize, you know, ersatz. He, he went to private school, so... So anyway, <laughs> I, I, I know what's going on. So anyway... Anyway, the jeweler that he happened to pick out was the guy who handmade Oof. these pieces of jewelry for oh, the God. victim about who he had read about in the newspaper oh, that God. morning. So the guy looks at it, thinking, he goes, all right, I'm going to need some time. Let me take all this. I'm interested. This is good stuff. Come back. Uh, let me call you. Give me your number. 
let me get an appraisal, then we'll talk. So the guy, you know, would have no reason to think anything's weird. Guy takes the jewels, he calls the cops, and so they set up a sting. The next morning at Molly's on Toulouse Street, not Molly's in the Mark, they set it up there. The jeweler calls the perp, and he says, I've got a number for you, I've got cash for you, let's talk, let's meet at Molly's. The police come in, NOPD comes in, clears out the bar, every single person, and then they populate it. The bartender, the woman and a guy behind the bar, both cops. The little couple over by the uh, uh, corner window, the people playing pool are cops. And there's a woman at the jukebox, which is right inside the door, putting quarters in. She's a cop. Guy walks in the door, the jeweler nods his head. She turns and she drops him, like right away. He's in handcuffs with a gun to his head in a second. And they got the guy. Now I tell it better, I think. I'm still developing this. Yeah, story. I got it. That's fine. I, uh, but anyway, it's just an amazing it's a great story, story of and you, coincidence. And, and I lived, lived in that apartment building. Did you the, write the, the paragraph? Were you doing crime? No, writing? no, that was, that was uh, a, back, back then I was covering crime on the West Bank. I just read about it, and I, and I knew all these people then. Sure. When they came in to search the property, that's when they busted the kitty porn ring. Right. Jeez. That's when they busted the cocaine ring, the shooting gallery, the whole thing. Within two weeks, me and the single mother across the hall were the only people living in the building. <laughs> All of a sudden, things got better there on St. <laughs> Philip, right? <laughs> hey, do now, you, do you now talk- it's a boutique hotel who uh, probably will not get many customers. <laughs> Hold on. Do you, do you go into at all and do anything about Dr. Mary's monkey or Dr. Mary and what happened and how she died? Or I, I'm still working on that. I mean, this is like the music tour. It's just, you know, I could do a 12-hour music tour. But I don't. You know, right. I used, you, you took the early ones. It was probably like four I took hours. The first one. Finally, Janelle finally said to me, stop torturing these people. Because <laughs> um, I can go That's what, it's exactly what Liana's little, little niece said when she said that you talk too much. Yeah. Well, you brought me on the radio. I've obviously <laughs> proven that. So, yeah, I can do 12 hours of music. I try to bring it in at two and a half. That's nice. So that's what I'm working on with the crime tours, to not make it 10 hours. That's a uh, crazy story. There are, are a lot. Can I ask you, do that. you think that what happened with Dr. Mary's, like, do you think that's real or do you think that's... I know you're, you're, you actually know more about this than I do. I don't know. Tell me, tell me Dr. Mary's monkey so Dr. that was back Do- in the news again. That was in the 50s when Dr. Mary was an orthopedist uh, at, uh, at Tulane and Alton uh, Oshner was, uh, started, started Oshner. And, uh, and they were working on a virus uh, to supposedly kill Fidel uh, Castro up in what is the across the street now from uh, children's, uh, the children's hospital uptown in that, that roped off public health at like several acre what? area. Castro had his own virus developed? They were him? trying to develop a virus and that she and they had a uh, it's, it's a whole check it out. So they, killed, really, so they killed the monkey with the virus. And Lee, Lee Harvey Oswald was part of that story as well. He worked at the uh, at the uh, what was the coffee shop, which is right next door to where we are on Julia Street. Right. See, he Oswald's was, in my tour. See, that's an uptown story. There are so many great murders and so many great music stories. So many great murders. <laughs> I think that's yeah, a, I know, I think a we're running place. out of time. Well, it's a great place to we're stop. Time. Time. So well, no, that's what I tell people. <laughs> I say so I will do for murder uh, what I did, did for music, and it won't be until two hours later when you're home, you realize I can't believe we were laughing at that. But at that point, I'm home with the money in my pocket, and I'm showered, and I'm just thinking about the next customers. Thank you very much. Please join us in September. Um, how come you don't talk about uh, um, Johnny Thunders? Wait, I thought we got time. Yeah, no, we're, no, we, no, we're not. Yes, we, have, we are. It we is have one minute. 50. One minute. Johnny Thunders, uh, he died. In the French Quarter. On, yeah, in the French Quarter. 
All right. We're Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you very much. This is the Resistance. The tour, man. <laughs> this is Resistance Radio. <laughs> We've had on the great Chris Rose. Chris, how, how can people find you? I'm sitting right here. Oh, <laughs> dude. This Chris, is why that business is failing, isn't Chris it? ChrisRose504 at gmail.com to book a tour. I'm on Facebook. I'm available. I'm usually just wandering around the French Quarter. Just pull on my shirt. <laughs> there they, you go. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Say, hey, are you that guy? This, this, is, a, this has been yes. off the rails with Chris Rose. <laughs>